0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm Executive Director of Healthcare Voter, but I'm also a cancer survivor, and I have been through the American healthcare system uh, firsthand. And I am pleased to bring you a panel of experts to answer your questions about health care and health insurance in America. So please keep calling or texting in your questions and we will answer them in future episodes. Our first question today is from Kevin, who wants to know, how old do I have to be to get Medicare, and can I keep working? Uh, To answer that, welcome Diane from Just Care and Social Security Works.
1: Thanks, Laura. Okay, so this is an important question. There are two ways you can get Medicare. When you turn 65, you're automatically eligible, so based on age but also if you have a long-term disability and you qualify for social, social security disability income uh, and you wait, unfortunately, 29 months, uh, you are then eligible for Medicare based on your disability. So either way, uh, you can get Medicare. And then once you have Medicare, absolutely you can continue working. Um, if you are working and have Medicare and your employer employs 20 or more people and offers health insurance, you also don't need to take Medicare. You can just get your insurance through your employer or your partner's employer if you have one. But um, if you don't want the insurance available through your employer or your employer employs fewer than 20, then uh, you can get your Medicare uh, based on your disability or your age. At six.
0: Great. Thank you, Diane. Our next question is about open enrollment for health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. Uh, can you get health insurance right now if you don't already have coverage? Uh, to answer that question, welcome Zoid from Health Sherpa.
2: Hi. So, um, the short answer is that if you don't currently have health insurance, you may be able to enroll right now. Um, so, we are currently in the special enrollment period which means um, you need to have a qualifying life event to enroll, so a few of those, you can look those up on healthcare.gov or on healthsherpa.com, but those usually pertain to a loss of coverage, like if you um, recently left your job and lost your insurance through there, if your COBRA insurance ended, um, and then also, for example, if you move to a different state, and so there are new plans available to you, There is also a category for folks who make under 150% of the federal poverty level, um, which again, you can look those up. And we also will screen for that when you put in your income on our quota. And that is a monthly special enrollment period. Um, Otherwise, if you don't qualify for any of these for special enrollment period, open enrollment is coming up sooner Um, then we think it'll be November 1st. Um, It's going until January 15th, like it did last year. And just like last year, you do need to enroll by December 15th in order to get that January 1st start date. Um, Otherwise, if you enroll between December 16th and January 15th, you'll get a February.
0: Great. Thank you, Zoid. Our next question is from Violet. He wants to know, uh, why hasn't the Medicare premium increase uh, to $170.10 been decreased? We didn't gain anything with this increase. Instead, our medications cost and deductibles all increased. Seniors are suffering and can't afford their meds, and Medicare Advantage is no help. So, Diane, uh, what's going on? What caused the Medicare premium increase? Um, Is it decreasing? And uh, what can people do about it?
1: Okay. Excellent question. So there was about a $21 increase in the Medicare premium this year, and $11 of it was associated with what the government thought was going to be coverage for Aduhelm, which is an Alzheimer's drug that was going to have a launch price of something like $56,000 a year. And the government assumed that if this was covered, that lots of people would take it and it would drive up, if you can believe it, the Medicare premium by about $11 in and of itself. So this is why we need drug pricing. Um, As it turned out, thankfully, uh, the government was wise and opted not to cover this drug because there are so many side effects and it's not at all clear that there are any clinical benefits. But as you point out, The government chose not to reduce people's premiums down to $160, which we advocated hard for. Um, They claimed that it would be administratively, legally difficult to do so, but next year, you should see a lower increase in your premium as a result of the fact that you're paying this extra money now. I know that doesn't help you now, and I'm sorry about that. It's just really a disaster, but uh, hopefully it will get addressed uh, in twenty. I you know that um, that's at least what we're being. The other good news, um, and we're all knocking on wood, right, is that the reconciliation process p- package in Congress is looking like actually it might. And if it does go through, there are three provisions that should help you with your prescription drug. One there's going to be a $2,000 cap on uh, out-of-pocket costs in Medicare Part D, which means that if your medication costs are really high, you will no longer have to pay 5% of the cost once you reach the catastrophic limit. You'll only have to pay out-of-pocket only $2,000, which is, I recognize, not chump change. It's a ton of money, but at least there is this cap. That, unfortunately, though, wouldn't begin... Um, as written today, uh, until 2025. The other good news is that the government is going to be allowed to negotiate drug prices for a small group of high-volume, brand-name drugs. That would not begin until 2026. But again, it's a foot in the door to Medicare drug price negotiation, and it should bring down the price of some of the highest-priced drugs, so that might help you as well. Um, There's still a debate about whether it will specifically um, allow the government to negotiate insulin prices, but we're working hard to ensure it does. And then finally, in conjunction with drug price negotiation, the reconciliation package includes a limit on the amount that pharmaceutical companies can raise prices on drugs. And they would be limited to um, raising prices only to the to the extent of inflation in a given year. So you wouldn't see more probably than a 3% price increase in a drug in almost any year. This year would be an exception because prices have been really rising quickly. But as a general rule, there would be a much slower increase in prescription drug prices, which is really good news. On the other hand, as we all recognize, prices are so out of control that we're starting with a low base or a very high base, I should say. But anyway, that is some good news. It is a it is a big, big uh, reform if it goes through. It's only a beginning, but it is really something worth
0: Absolutely. And it's something that uh, people, including uh, this group of people, have been working on for years and years. So it's great that Fingers crossed it might actually go through and you should contact your senators today and your representative and make sure that they support it because uh, there has not been a final vote in either the House or the Senate. So make sure your elected officials hear from you that you support the budget reconciliation bill with the health care pieces. Our next question is, uh, what are uh, health insurance rates looking like for next year? And is Congress uh, working to lower the cost of health insurance through the Affordable Care Act? Soid. Yeah, thanks.
2: Uh, So they are still very much uh, to be determined at this point. Um, Congress is working on it. It's actually tied up with what we were just talking about with Medicare. Um, So a little bit of background for those of you who might need a refresher, The um, subsidies that folks can get on insurance through the marketplace were increased due to the American Rescue Plan Act, and that was for two years, and they are set to expire at the end of this plan year, which means that not only would subsidies be decreasing, which means premiums would be going up for folks who are eligible for subsidies through the marketplace. But more likely than not, insurance carriers would be increasing rates overall um, because there would be fewer folks enrolling and so they would have to raise. Uh, however, in that same reconciliation bill, um, that it there, it would essentially extend those subsidies for another two years. Um, and so currently that bill is with the Senate parliamentarian, um, to decide whether everything in there can indeed go through reconciliation. For those of you who don't know, reconciliation is tip. It's technically like a, a just a budget process. However, it's often used um, to kind of get new laws through that are kind of solely about budget, um, because you you don't. There's no threat of filibuster. It only needs those 51 votes in the Senate. Um, however, neither the House or Senate have voted on it yet, and the House is in recess um, for. I can't remember when they come back in, but for about a month. Um, So we likely won't get any updates until September. Um, But fingers crossed, it has um, a pretty good chance of going through from what we're hearing.
0: Yeah. And my understanding is the Senate could vote as soon as this week. The House is in recess, but the House, unlike Senate, has remote voting. So if it does get through the Senate and there are the votes in the House to pass it, they could remote vote. So it, it, it could be it could happen this month. It could happen in the next couple of weeks if it gets through the Senate first. So again, contact your senators, contact your representative, make sure they know how important this bill is to you and what this will mean for your health care. And now I'm excited to introduce our special guest for today, Egan Kemp from Public Citizen, who's going to be talking about consolidation and competition of medical providers and what this means for patients. So welcome, Egan. Egan.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's definitely a, a challenging time uh to be an American consumer what with with raising uh prices on a number of things. And obviously one of the ones that concerns folks the most who are listening here is is health uh the health care. Um particularly concerning uh it should be the um one medical and amazon merger, uh which we're seeing uh, start the process and obviously a number of folks are raising concerns given just how much uh, threatening it would be on sort of a number of issues, but particularly things like workers' rights, uh, things like uh, data privacy, but also just the broader healthcare market.
0: Great, and so can you um, step back for a minute and tell us? Uh, presumably, everybody knows uh, what Amazon is, but what is One Medical? And Amazon is trying to buy One Medical. What's what's happening?
3: Yeah, that's it's it's a good question. And, and so the important thing to know is so One Medical is really sort of a it's a mini concierge uh, medical, uh, service. And so you pay sort of a flat rate and it really connects you with the, the, the providers within, uh, that particular, uh, sort of universe of, of doctors and other providers. Uh, and it's supposed to allow you sort of better access to, um, uh, like E, uh, consultations, uh, rapid response, uh, should you have a medical emergency as well as, um, directing you to specialists um, or other providers uh, in case it's necessary. And it, it was a bit of a, a surprise move that that this would be Amazon's next jump into the healthcare venture. They had already uh, purchased a, a prescription drug um, distribution system, uh, but moving directly into primary care, you know, seems like a big jump for Amazon, who obviously does want uh, peers to want their toes in everything from you know owning the Washington Post to Whole Foods. And so this seems like uh, a pretty big step. And there's a number of additional steps that it could do. They plan to just turn this around and try to sell it do they plan to farm that as much data as they can for a variety of purposes or you know are they thinking of you know also buying you know specialty providers or even moving into you know health insurance at some point?
0: and so is this uh just business as usual with amazon purchasing an, something that is out of the ordinary for them just like you know when they they bought whole foods they were getting into groceries which brick and mortar grocery stores which maybe seemed unusual uh, or is this something different for Amazon? Amazon uh, is this a concern because of their size?
3: Yeah, it's it's a great question. I mean, I think it is a concern because of their size and because they are moving so quickly into so many sectors, as as you just mentioned, and because it's it's unclear exactly what they want out of this is also a little bit scary because. The, the big thing that uh, something like One Medical would be generating that you could anticipate Amazon making use of is, is the health data of the folks that would be enrolling. Now, there's particularly protections for uh, certain health data in terms of how it's shared, and Apple and 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 other tech companies that have, um, you know, have gotten into the healthcare game have tried to wall off some of the health data from sort of their, their searches or other things like that, but there's still the potential for um, a lot of uh, revenue from that from that data that may be generated, and there may be some I- information that isn't necessarily protected by law that they could then use. I mean, I've already been hearing concerns about uh, folks, you know, who are pregnant being targeted with particular ads, or folks with particular who are maybe even just doing go- Google searches for, you know, for HIV or you know for monkeypox. All of a sudden, you know, finding um, finding you know different ads. Ads or concerning ads, or fears that their their data privacy uh, may be violated, and obviously we've seen a number of different uh, data breaches uh, at big companies recently, which also raises a lot of concern because Amazon's going to be a huge target for for any of those hackers that that are you know trying to get into uh, data systems and you know turn that data over to nefarious nefarious customers.
0: Mm -hmm. And speaking of data privacy, uh, what are the data privacy implications of such a merger? And how have other uh, tech companies handled uh, acquisitions? Like I think Google bought Fitbit or Apple is good with Apple Watch space getting into health data
3: yeah and it's it's a bit of a wild west when it comes to to medical data and as well as personal uh, ge- personally generated health data and so for some things it's pretty clear in terms of it if it's something that you've communicated with you know a provider and that provider is then communicating it but there are ways in which you may sort of accidentally or unknowingly give up the the health protections under HIPAA which is sort of the one of the most relevant uh data protections for for your health information and it really means that you know that that those can be things that are bought and sold uh you know whether it's to 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 Generate ads, or even sort of you know uh, bigger picture when it comes to things like Medicare Advantage targeting. uh, As you turn sixty-five, whether they're going to target you with for ads with with different Medicare Advantage plans, or you know try to cherry pick just the healthiest seniors that may be uh, applying for uh, Medicare Advantage at a certain time.
0: Okay, and why do you think Amazon is doing this now? Is there a reason why? (laughs) Is it just that uh, they have lots of money in the bank and one medical is available, or? Are the reasons for now?
3: Yeah, I think the 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 question of now is a good one because we're seeing lots of private equity uh, money moving into healthcare. We're seeing lots of venture capital money moving into healthcare, and primary care is sort of one of the next big ones that that you know United Healthcare has recently put in a lot of money, and so there is a sort of a bit of bidding wars across primary healthcare, uh, and these companies each sort of have a different footprint. I mean, we know that private equity wants to to invest quickly and then. Return on that investment. Uh, United Healthcare is going to be around in the healthcare space a lot longer, and have sort of various uses of you know directing people from primary care into secondary and tertiary care. But the real question is sort of what does Amazon want to do with that? And I think their next steps uh, are a little bit less clear. Uh, I mean, do they do they wrap this in with Amazon Prime? Like, does one medical become one of the things you automatically get when you sign up with Amazon Prime? Is that one more way that then then they can send you stuff like, oh, you've just automatically been enrolled in this. Here's uh, you know a survey to take, and then what happens to that you know survey data or anything else that they're collecting as they're you know signing potentially this primary. Care uh, e venture. I mean, they're claiming that they want to change the fundamentally the healthcare and primary care experience, but what they want to change it to is not clear.
0: Mm-hmm. And speaking of uh, private equity and venture capital, I know that uh, during this pandemic, they have been buying up more mom and pop doctor's offices, and there's a lot more consolidation in that provider space. Uh, But recently, uh, just a couple days ago, some reports came out about um, private equity and venture capital in things like nursing homes and end-of-life care. So uh, can you tell us more about that, what's happening?
3: Yeah, we're seeing uh, various sort of moneyed interests uh, moving into the healthcare spaces where Folks are the most, and so even before COVID nineteen, we saw a lot of nursing homes bought up by uh, private equity or venture capital, Uh, and some of them had uh, a lot of them had some of the worst outcomes. Uh, Some had sort of as many COVID infections as they had, you know, beds for people to fill. Uh, Fifty percent of of deaths uh, in sort of the first waves of COVID were among folks in nursing homes, and uh, and a good portion of those were in sort of private equity. Owned nursing homes, which really raises the concern about the ability of these folks to, to do this type of care, and then moving into end of life care, I mean that is also particularly terrifying. That you know it's a it's a very vulnerable time for the patient, but also for their family. And so if if they're trying to upcharge people, or they're trying to you know make uh, provide unnecessary services, we know that there's a lot of spending when it comes to the last year to six months of a person's life, and so having folks driven by profit as opposed to sort of a patient's well-being is particularly threatened. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely, because the whole point of private equity and venture capital is to deliver large returns to their investors. And if they're in these spaces, how do they deliver those large returns without compromising patient care?
3: Exactly. And that's what we saw with, with surprise billing, really moving into emergency rooms when people were at the, the most difficult time of making a decision of what care to get and, or may even be unconscious in getting care, but then it being deemed out of network uh, and then those folks getting hit with tens of thousands of dollars in bill and racking up tons of debt. I mean, that's uh, it, it's we're fortunate that Congress moved on that for a variety of areas. Obviously there's still concerns about grand, ground ambulances, which were not covered in the most recent surprise billing legislation, but uh, now that that's less Less easy for private equity to make money. They're definitely looking for the next place.
0: Uh, and how well are private equity-owned medical services functioning? Uh, are there uh, concerning examples we should be aware of?
3: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of concerns. Sort of almost every uh, sector of the healthcare system that we've moved that they've moved into, where where we're following them, we're seeing things like, you know, buying up an entire uh, medical system and then selling it off for parts. Uh, entire communities devoid hospital or, or or you know certain things within a hospital. We saw when they moved into dermatology, they bought up some of the biggest dermatology networks, uh, and then there's significant uh, allegations of fraud and sort of upselling, unnecessary services. Uh, you know, we're, we see it, uh, obviously, as I talked about before, in nursing homes, that the really sort of uh, turning profit at the expense of seniors. And even when we're looking at rural hospitals, rural hospitals have been struggling for, for, for a long time, but, uh, and some some folks have asked, well, isn't it good that private equity is moving into rural hospitals? But what we're seeing is that, you know, within just a couple years of moving into those, buying up rural hospitals, they'll, you know, consolidate, move them, move some providers to a nearer hospital, uh, and it leaves people driving, you know, three to four hours, even in emergency care, which obviously is not, is not uh, tenable.
0: And then speaking of Amazon's investment or all of these uh, investments by private equity and venture capitals isn't additional investment in healthcare a good thing? Uh, What's this going to mean for patients?
3: Yeah, I mean, one of the challenges that we have in our healthcare system is just how much we spend uh, on healthcare and, and spend it in the wrong places and in the wrong ways. And so more money in our healthcare system isn't necessarily good, especially when it's folks that are seeking profit as opposed to seeking to help you know, patients as their bottom. And so, uh, I I'm definitely nervous about sort of the future of healthcare in America when I was already nervous about the present of healthcare in America. Uh, the more that, that folks that are really just seeking uh, profit and seeking short-term profit and and even, you know, United healthcare or Amazon that may have longer term aims, the fact that at some point they're going to need to, to draw, uh, profit out of it or sell it off to somebody else who's who's going to be even more focused on profit. Makes me very nervous.
1: And Diane had a question for you. Yeah. So i just want to pick up on actually your question, Laura, and your last answer again, which is even in the best of all possible worlds with Amazon sort of being potentially um, a buyer of healthcare that can deliver more for less in some kind of an ideal world which is hard to imagine because much like private equity and venture capital corporations have to put profits before everything else um, but even if their mission was to create something better for people um, can you talk to the instability of having corporations in charge on um, the fact that you know uh, an acquisition by somebody else or a new leadership or whatever it is changes everything on a
3: dime. Yeah, and and I think that's what uh, my understanding of folks that uh, have been enrolled in One Medical have experienced over time, that, you know, when it was initially started, uh, it sounded like it had a, a good reputation among its patients, among its providers, but as it, uh, you Focus more on profit. So it became an IPO, you know, going public, there was already sort of a big split providers felt like they had were told that they had less time to spend with patients. Uh, they felt like they were having to push them uh, into sort of other services more often that it became more about sort of the bottom line. Uh, and, and, and it's it's hard to imagine that changing under on Amazon, you know, given the 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 labor concerns that have already been expressed uh, about Amazon's various businesses, you know, whether it was the takeover of Whole Foods, whether it's their factories, whether it's their drivers, you know, you could imagine a, a number of similar challenges for for the doctors under One Medical and and going forward, if they you know decide to move even further into healthcare, you know, how far up the chain are they going to go, and what what else could you use? a primary care practice or series of practices to, to, to fund uh, in future uh, settings.
1: That seems like the big issue with any private health insurance. And I think why public citizen and just care and social security works and lots of folks are just supportive of Medicare for all with a public health insurance system, because at least then we have the continuity and the long-term focus on people's health that we're sorely lacking right now.
3: Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is, after uh, i experienced canadian healthcare for a couple of years when i was in grad school and i think the biggest difference is i didn't realize it could be easy to have healthcare and to get healthcare i think that's something that that's really hard for a lot of americans to understand is that we live in such terror of, of our healthcare changing, it being sold, it being bought, it, you know, us losing it if we change jobs, but that's just not how it is in other countries. And as uh, Diane alluded to, not how it would be under a system. And
0: what can any of us and or the government do? do about acquisitions like uh, Amazon buying uh, One Medical or venture capitalist and private equity firms buying up all these practices? You know, are there options that the government uh, could take
3: yeah, there actually are a number of things that the government can do, uh, and particularly in mergers like these. I mean, there is the, there is the expectation that we're going to have to push um, DOJ and HHS to take the steps that are necessary. So, number one, we would like to stop this number of groups to push back, to stop this from happening. And so writing letters, contacting the DOJ, if you go to citizen.org, we're going to have a number of things uh, that you can uh, – actions you can take and also information that you can use because it really is about pushing back on some of these really bad mergers. And if mergers like this, like this one or other ones that are similar go forward, making sure that there are as as strong of firewalls as possible between people's personal uh, personally generated health data, as well as their sort of regular health data, so that it's not being used by other parts of Amazon. And it's not easy for folks that if they breach some of Amazon's data protections to be able to get to people's health data, that health data has to be held much more uh, closely and much more carefully than uh, some of the data that we know Amazon and Google and others sort of have at, at their fingertips and use for a variety of their programs.
0: And I don't know if he has any authority on this, but I know that HHS Secretary Javier Becerra was uh, pretty instrumental in stopping some of the healthcare mergers in uh, Northern California. Like I think Sutter was, uh, you know, buying up other hospitals and acting in a predatory manner. And I know that Becerra was a champion in that. So, does HHS have any authority over mergers, or is this all FTC and other agencies?
3: yeah it's primarily ftc and doj but there there often is a, con, a consultative role that that hhs would play in these sorts sort sort of mergers and it, it's important to put pressure on on sort of all of the potential actors and i think it's also important that you point out laura that there's a lot of things that can be done at the state level and so you know contacting your state officials so that they're you know taking what action they can to block uh, these sorts of mergers or to stop companies, you know, who have, who maybe have merged from engaging in various practices that make it more difficult.
0: Absolutely. Well, so uh, for our audience, contact your senators and your representative about the budget reconciliation bill and Then contact the FCC, and DOJ and others about uh, these acquisitions that are not necessarily going to be friendly for consumers. Thank you uh, again for uh, listening to Care Talk. Uh, Please keep calling and texting in your questions and we will answer them in future episodes. Uh, Thanks for listening.